war in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePietro Show. Good afternoon. Right now it is 106 and you're listening to the John DePietro show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. This portion of our program, folks, it's trudged by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. What are you doing right now? It is turning into, it's a delightful afternoon. It is uh, very comfortable temperatures and you just heard the weather forecast. Why not pop in? You could have a nice lunch. Boy, later today, it's going to be nice sunshine into the afternoon. Looks like another nice day and the, the Temperatures are actually very comfortable. Popped into the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. They're waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery. All right, I want to get uh, uh, to some of the other news of the day. Now, we are going to talk local, obviously. Uh, and the Mac story just continues. Um, it's it's uh, really remarkable. But let me get to, I want to get to some of the other news that is out there a little bit. Aside from just that. We're getting more due, uh, two teens killed in a foster crash. Um, I, I, we're learning more about that. Let me get to some of the details on this. Haven't seen anything like this in quite some time. This is the um, Channel 12 story. has been on the scene all morning long in the town of Foster after this very serious crash overnight where at least one car was badly damaged. It happened in a rural part of Foster on Salisbury Road, which is not far from Route 6. 12 News reporter Brittany Schaefer has updated information from police. She is live in Foster now with the latest. Brittany? Well, Danielle, I spoke to an EMT who was the first responder on scene this morning. He says there were four people in that vehicle, all in their teens. He tells me two were pronounced dead. The other two were sent to the hospital for evaluation. Now, we did speak to foster police as well, who told me at this hour they can't comment on the active investigation. The crash happened on Salisbury Road early this morning, about two miles from the police department. Rhode Island State Police were also there. 12 news cameras captured a car being towed from the scene. At this hour, there is no word on whether any other vehicles were involved. EMTC Gordon Rogers tells me after seeing the aftermath of this accident, it's something that's going to stick with him for a while. Surprised how, uh, you know, just you don't you don't see fatals uh, on the back roads like that. When you, you have kids of young age, of that age, uh, it, it, it affects the community pretty deeply. You know, you've seen it in past in other communities. It's, uh, it's an extremely small, close-knit community. A lot of people know everybody. So it's and even the volunteers that show up on scenes, you know. And in general, Rogers is urging people to wear their seatbelts. Again, I've reached out to foster police here for more information. Once we get an update, we'll bring that information to you both on air and online. For now, live in Foster, I'm Brittany Schaefer, 12 News. Terrible, folks. Terrible. You know, I don't understand people. There are people that there are still people that are not using their seatbelts. It's 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 I don't get it. Um, with some of the people that I was interviewing with the Charlotte Lester case, when I would give them a ride, I'd actually have to instruct them to put on their seatbelt. That is foreign to me. Uh, never mind, you know, years ago, you, you had the, there are other type of vehicles that they automatically come down 
but and then obviously I have a vehicle that that it it beeps if you don't have your your um, seatbelt on. But I'm I'm actually stunned. Like to me, it's just completely automatic that you would put your your seatbelt on, but apparently not. Obviously not, as a matter of fact. Obviously not. By the way, even um, 50 Cent, the rapper, he was uh, joking about Senator Mack. Um, And he put out a meme that has the uh, Biden on the phone and then has Senator Mack behind him up on the wall. But right now, they are, the, the, her defenders are trying to have this narrative that somehow that this was all planned and, and the media is falling for it and the right wing media is falling for, or, or like, why can't they just, she made a mistake. She made a mistake. She doesn't want to admit that she made a mistake. People find it. I don't understand people getting angry about it, but it's it's just it's kind of something if she were an activist, which I think she eventually will be now. um, That then then she, she probably should just be an activist as opposed to an elected official. She doesn't seem to be serious enough for an elected for an elected position. Maybe there was a time that that it would have been okay, but it seems to be that right now people are very concerned about what's happening. Obviously, with the whether it's the price of gas, the direction of the country, um, and and therefore her types of antics are just not going to play. Are just not going to play. So now I want to play. There's new information on both the the shooting in um, in Texas, the school shooting, and then also the latest on the Illinois uh, mass shooter. So let's start with um, this is the uh, latest on the Texas shooting. Here we go. The school shooting in Uvalde, Texas. A new report shows that the gunman could have been stopped before he even entered the school. NBC's Sam Brock joins us from Austin with more on this. Hey, Sam, good morning. Yeah, Hoda, good morning. This report by Texas State University identified three circumstances that if any one of them had played out differently could have meant fewer deaths or no deaths. And most notably, a Uvalde police officer who had the shooter within his sights less than 150 yards away waiting for the green light to shoot. The report finding that decision was in his discretion. This morning, Uvalde's highly criticized police response, magnified by a state commission report which spotlights three circumstances before the suspect entered the building that could have saved some or all of the 21 people massacred on May 24th. Starting with a Uvalde officer reporting he observed the suspect striding toward the school entrance and was sighted in to shoot the attacker from approximately 148 yards away. But according to the report, the officer waited for permission when he didn't hear a response. 
The report says he turned to get confirmation from his supervisor. When he turned back to address the suspect, the suspect had already entered the school. The findings also stating a reasonable officer would conclude in this case, based upon the totality of the circumstances, that use of deadly force was warranted. Those state standards don't require officers to fire their weapon from more than 100 yards away. Grieving parents like Javier Caceres, who lost his beloved Jackie, trying to process this latest gut punch. Does this report do anything to alleviate that anger, or do you think it inflames it? It inflames it more, you know, knowing for sure that it is true now that, you know, it did happen. He did have that shot. Also part of the same report, two other critical safeguards that failed. A teacher closed a door that was propped open, but she did not check to see if the door was locked. And because it was not locked, the attacker was able to immediately access the building. Senator Roland Gutierrez is suing the state and demanding transparency. Whether it's our lawsuit or getting more information from DPS, we'll get the full picture of what went on. On this the authorities do lay blame beyond the school's police chief, Pete Arredondo, highlighting how the rank-and-file officers could have tried to breach the exterior windows of the classroom, among other options. I'm angry. You know, I, I want justice served from the bottom to the top. Uvalde police so far have not yet responded to our request for comment about this report. And Hoda, it is worth mentioning that there's nothing inside of the report that says whether or not a police officer should or should not be requesting permission for firing a shot in that kind of situation. You know, because they because he should have shot the, the shot. Now, let's get the latest on the uh, Illinois shooting. In the wake of Monday's parade shooting in Illinois, the story of a little two-year-old boy who lost both of his parents. It's touched so many people and it's moved them to help. So this morning, for the first time, we are hearing from that little boy's family. NBC's Emily Akeda is here with more on that. Hey, Emily, good morning. Good morning to you all. So many people eager to help. We're told the GoFundMe page hit $30,000 within just a few minutes of being launched. Now it's is at around three million. Really remarkable showing of support and important reminder of the good in this world after such a dark tragedy. He's emerged as an emblem of Highland Park's tremendous loss on July 4th. A two-year-old boy, Aiden McCarthy, effectively orphaned by Monday's massacre. His parents, Kevin and Irina, among the seven people killed along the parade route. Witnesses say Kevin died trying to protect his son. I mean, you just takes your breath away, you know, you just... Like the wind got knocked out of you. Irina and Tony Cologne are part of the McCarthy's extended family and started a GoFundMe page to support him and the caregivers who will be tasked with raising, caring for, and supporting Aiden. They sat down with NBC's Tom Yamas. I think it just occurred to us right away, like right away, like what can we do? What's going to actually help this family? Like prayers and all that, fine, great food, yeah, sure, but what's ultimately going to help them? And it's GoFundMe, like 100%. The page has raised more than $2.8 million in a stunning outpouring of help from a world touched by a community sorrow and a father's final heroic act. His dad did everything he could to protect his son and, and, and was successful in that. NBC News spoke with Tom Brooks, who spotted the two-year-old moments after the gunfire beneath his limp father. He says he had that kid in his arms, and his final act of his life was bravery. He fell with his son underneath him. It was intentional. This gentleman is a hero. This morning, tributes pouring in for the couple, both graduates of DePaul University in Chicago with degrees in finance. 
Irina was an only child, according to the Chicago Sun-Times. Her father, who emigrated from Russia, telling the outlet she was the love of my life. A friend calling her an amazing person, adding, Kevin was such a kind person who loved to make people laugh. He kept telling me how he wanted a big family and how much it meant to him. Monday's violence shattering that dream, but a community determined to pick up the pieces in its wake. There's so many layers to this story, but there's the man, Tom Brooks, who actually saw uh, Aiden's dad on top of him and had a chance to like share a couple of moments before he passed. Yeah, that's right. Tom Brooks says before the boy was guided away from the scene, he told the bleeding father that his son was safe. The father wasn't responsive, but Brooks is convinced he heard him. Perhaps a moment of relief in Kevin McCarthy's mm. final moment. Oh, my goodness, folks. You know, as we, um, and again, good afternoon. Right now it's 118. Ah, James Kahn has died. James Kahn, right now 118, it's Thursday. Sonny and the Godfather. James Kahn had, uh, he was also in misery. Jimmy Kahn, James Kahn has passed away. Let me see how old, 82 years old. Tough guy like Sonny Corleone. I didn't know the movie The Thief. Yeah, he did get... Oscar nominated for Misery. Oh, and also, of course, Brian Piccolo and Brian's song, and also an elf. 82 years old. James Kahn. Um, really powerful in, obviously, The Godfather. As Sonny. What a great character. Really, really good character. Uh... The shooter's father has no regret about helping his son buy guns. I, I, I am anxious. I want to hear how, how he's not charged. What's this? A man trespassing on the property of the SoFi Stadium has died after he took a swim in a man-made lake Wednesday morning. SoFi Stadium. That's in, uh, in L.A., right? Yeah. They hosted the Super Bowl. 45-year-old man. Hop defense, home of the L.A. Rams and Chargers. Watch, his family will now sue them. 6.13, he was entering the water, swimming towards the middle of the artificial lake. Several minutes later, a call was placed. It took three hours for the body to be retrieved. We don't know why he was on the property. We do not have him identified. We don't know why he got in the water. Two security officers went to the lake. He was already in the water by that time. By the time firefighters and divers arrived, it took some time. This lake is six-acre lake, can hold 11 million gallons of water, 15 feet in depth. I, I don't... <laughs> that's a little odd. This Foster story sounds terrible. Absolutely terrible. Now, the Cumberland story... Um, still nothing on that as of yet. But I, by all accounts, I am being told that that is, well, I'm telling you, that's a story to watch. The father of the shooter. I had no idea this was going to happen. I, what, the kid obviously was troubled. They took um, knives and various things out of his Out of his home, he threatened to kill his, all, his whole family. And 
Now he is speaking out. I want to hear. This is the father speaking out. Questions mounting as to how the gunman behind the deadly 4th of July rampage was able to legally obtain five guns after a series of red flags. Authorities promising a criminal investigation into the potential culpability of his father, who sponsored the suspect's application to obtain a firearm owner's ID because he was under 21, despite a prior suicide attempt and alleged threats to kill his family. There is ongoing criminal a prosecution and criminal investigation. Issues of culpability, liability, who may have responsibility. Overnight, the father speaking to ABC News. I love my son, but it's, it's devastating to everyone involved. Claiming he was unaware of some of those incidents when he sponsored the application. I filled out a consent form to allow my son to go through the process. They do background checks, whatever it entails. <laughs> His son, 21-year-old Robert Cremo, waking up behind bars this morning, denied bail after prosecutors say he confessed to the Highland Park massacre that left seven people dead and more than 30 injured. This has taken us by complete surprise. Three days before the fourth, my wife had asked him, hey, do you have any plans for the fourth? And he simply said no. And new details about the deadly rampage after the suspect's alleged confession. Authorities saying he considered carrying out a second attack on another celebration. Driving from Highland Park to Madison, Wisconsin, armed with another firearm and 60 rounds of ammunition. He seriously contemplated using the firearm he had in his vehicle to commit another shooting. This, as we learn more about the seven people who lost their lives, Eduardo Uvaldo, who was going to turn 70 this week after returning from a Paris trip with his wife to celebrate their 50th wedding anniversary. He was just a perfect father, perfect grandfather, perfect great-grandfather, perfect father-in-law. And this two-year-old boy, Aiden, rescued from the chaos, pulled from underneath his parents' bodies after they were killed in the massacre. Our Stephanie Ramos is speaking with Lauren Silva about those the father did an interview. He just kept saying, is mom and dad okay? Uh. And it was hard to, to look at him in the face and say it's going to be okay when I didn't know if it was. Silva enlisting the help of another couple, the Rings, to eventually unite Aiden with his grandparents. It's a time when strangers come together and you just do, you just act. And they were doing the same thing that I was doing. And the suspect's father says he did not live with his wife or son at the time of those prior incidents. The suspect is due back in court July 28th. Robin? All right, Alex. Thank you. For the first time, we're you know, here. I, um, I cannot believe the father actually did the interview with ABC. I mean, it's only because there's nothing to be said, right? There's nothing to be said for crying out. I mean, if anything, I he, how, how is he not? endlessly he shouldn't actually be saying anything because nothing you can say can help and what a complete disgrace i just wonder why isn't he being charged he he they they enabled he enabled the son to do those things absolutely did um well, folks, good afternoon at 125. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. Uh, this is a joke that they are now, some of these progressives are trying to bail out State Senator Tierra Mack. And so they're all posing 
upside down. But a big story, this is terrible. Two teens, I want to replay this. Two teens killed in foster crash. Channel 12 has a, a piece on this. And they're investigating right now. Terrible. Um, let me just play the latest on this. Seen all morning long in the town of Foster after this very serious crash overnight where at least one car was badly damaged. It happened in a rural part of Foster on Salisbury Road, which is not far from Route 6. 12 News reporter Brittany Schaefer has updated information from police. She is live in Foster now with the latest. Brittany? Well, Danielle, I spoke to an EMT who was the first responder on scene this morning. He says there were four people in that vehicle, all in their teens. He tells me two were pronounced dead. The other two were sent to the hospital for evaluation. Now, I did speak to foster police as well, who told me at this hour they can't comment on the active investigation. The crash happened on Salisbury Road early this morning, about two miles from the police department. Rhode Island State Police were also there. 12 news cameras captured a car being towed from the scene. At this hour, there is no word on whether any other vehicles were involved. EMTC Gordon Rogers tells me after seeing the aftermath of this accident, it's something that's going to stick with him for a while. Surprised how, uh, you know, just you don't you don't see fatals uh, on the back roads like that. You you have kids of young age, of that age, uh, it it affects the community pretty deeply. You've seen it in past in other communities. It's uh, it's an extremely small, close-knit community. A lot of people know everybody, so even the volunteers that show up on scenes, you know. And in general, Rogers is urging people to wear their seatbelts. Again, I've reached out to foster police here for more information. Once we get an update, we will bring that information to you both on air and online. For now, live in Foster, I'm Brittany Schaefer, 12 News. Yeah, that is, um, we're going to follow that story, folks. Again, it's 127. I I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Um, They're still obviously uh, pulling information on that, but that that is a rough one. For sure. Wow. Hey, I want to remind you about uh, our friend Marie with It's My Health. It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Stop in and see Marie. Folks, this is a time, remember, if anything, the pandemic has taught a lot of people. It's you do want to be and remain as healthy as possible. And one of the ways to do that is stop in and see Marie and shop local. At It's My Health, 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant. Vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies. Local products like ICE, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. And here's the kicker, 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices. Hemp and CBD products. Folks, she has it all. Pop it and see her. They're open right now. It's My Health because it's your health. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. Stop in and see Marie. Now, folks, again, visit our website, depetro.com. Right now at 129, this portion of the John DePetro Show is charged by Yankee Tree. Yankee Tree Service. Do you need to get some, have some of your trees trimmed around your property? Call them, 401 439 6028. Yankee Tree Service, the tree trimming experts in Lincoln, established in 2006, fully insured tree removal company. And what I love, because I've had Yankee Tree Service do work on my property, 
is that they have a licensed arborist. So sometimes they'll recommend, okay, that tree, you just want to prune it. That one, uh, maybe it should come out. Tree removal, stump grinding, tree pruning, uh, bucket truck service, they do it all. Yankee Tree Service. Call them now, 401-439-6028 for Yankee Tree Service. Now, I also want to go to the Channel 12 story about Officer Dolan of Pawtucket, where Tim Dodd and I um, discussed this earlier, and that is that he's going to go, he's going to opt for trial. He didn't like what he was offered. I think Attorney Dodd really pointed out that one of the things that he, this Officer Dolan was involved in the shooting of the youth, that he may not have liked was how long he was going to have probation with the suspended sentences. This is the Channel 12 been piece. rejected by a Pawtucket police officer who was accused of shooting a teen in the arm while attempting to stop his car last summer. This means Officer Dan Dolan's case will now go to trial. 12 News reporter Anita Buffoni was at court for today's hearing. She joins us now live in studio with the new developments. Anita? Well, Shannon and Mike, the four felony counts Officer Dan Dolan is facing brings a maximum prison sentence of 52 years. State prosecutors offered him to serve five years, but Dolan turned that down. His lawyer says he's confident he will be exonerated. State prosecutors laid out their plea deal for Pawtucket Police Officer Dan Dolan in court Wednesday. But Dolan rejected that plea deal, deciding instead to stand trial. Dolan is accused of unjustly shooting an 18-year-old while attempting to stop a car outside of a West Greenwich pizza shop while off-duty last June. Two others were inside the car. All three and family members were in court Wednesday. Dolan's attorney told 12 News they believe evidence will clear his name at trial. The victim's attorney isn't surprised by his decision to reject the deal. It was a horrible night, and it was completely and utterly unnecessary. Earlier this year, while on bail, Dolan was charged with domestic vandalism and disorderly conduct in an unrelated case. Yep. Howe says that charge shows there is a pattern to Dolan's behavior. His aberrant conduct as a police officer is pretty well known to the city of Pawtucket, long before the unfortunate events of last June. Dolan is currently on unpaid leave from the Pawtucket Police Department. Now the victim's attorney says they plan on filing a civil lawsuit in the near future. Oh, yeah. Dolan is due back in court in September. Anita Buffoni, 12 News. I just don't, you know, as attorney Dodd explained, he just feels why not roll the dice and get it out there. Now, I think this is interesting. I don't remember ever seeing this before. Senate President Dominic Ruggiero officially launched his re-election campaign, held an open house kickoff event. Um, Tara Mack was taking shots at him. Let me um, see, does he? Ruggiero officially kicking off his re-election campaign tonight. He held an open house and and campaign uh, campaign kickoff at his headquarters. He says the General Assembly has passed some great legislation recently and he's hoping to help pass more in the Senate. I think we've done some great things uh, with legislation this year, and uh, I'm looking to move forward, and there's a lot more work to be done. Obviously, we have a lot of money from the federal government. We have to look to see how we spend that wisely, uh, because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Hi, guys. 
Furio is being challenged by progressive candidate Lenny Seo, who challenged him back in 2020, and also by former Capitol Police Chief Stephen Taco. Hmm. Steve Taco. Is that the Steve Taco I know? I'm not sure. So he's got two different people. Um, this is interesting. Socialist organization endorses six Rhode Island candidates. Huh. I wonder why they're not being arrested. Socialist organization. Folks, this is where we are in Rhode Island. They're not even Democrats anymore. Socialists. All right, let's hear this piece. Headquarters today, Providence chapters of the Democratic Socialists of America met to officially oh. kick off their endorsement of candidates seeking Rhode Island elected offices. According to Chairperson Tom Chiari, the six candidates are running for offices ranging from state offices to city councils. He says he believes many voters across the state are looking for something the two major parties just aren't offering. I think um, we, we put forward a lot of candidates who are looking out for the working class, wow. working for, um, or, or willing to work for, for social progress. Jerry adding the candidates' platforms will include issues like Medicare for all, raising the minimum wage, and labor rights that he says can help normal working people during a difficult time. You know, the... Um that is that is really amazing. I don't remember that they ever had uh, they gave that kind of publicity to uh, socialists. I mean, think about that for a moment. Um, I mean, these are the real extremes, but they they're organized, right? I mean, they they can get themselves elected. Well, we're going to find out if they can. The progressives do. The progressives campaign nonstop. The progressives campaign absolutely nonstop. I can't believe that father in Illinois. What a disgrace. Wow. The fact that he is, you know, I'm still, why say anything? I'm not saying he should announce that the son, the shooter, should get the death penalty. I'm just questioning why say anything about that? I also want to mention, um, it is comical, folks, that Tucker Carlson has just been all over the Senator Tierra Mac story. And he's still going on about it. Let's play it again, where they talk about why is she being held back. You have to wonder why it's left to this show, of all places, to announce the rising star, the next rising star in the Democratic Party. But it is, so we're going to. It's a woman called Tierra Mac. You never heard of Tierra Mac? Well, maybe that's because she's a state senator in the country's smallest state, Rhode Island. And you have to wonder why. This is a woman with demonstrated talent who has, as she announced on social media just this week, an Ivy League degree from Brown, but still technically Ivy League. Famous people send their kids there. Whatever, it's Brown. You should be impressed. And she's an amazing performer. Here's her latest campaign ad. Votes in her Mac. Uh. So you ever have those moments where you see something and you're like, oh, that's the future. That's what it looks like. We saw Tierra Mac head in the sand, twerking, uh. and we thought, man, that's 
the Democratic Party 2020. So not everyone liked it. And she responded this way on Twitter, quote, damn, twerking upside down really makes the conservative unhinged Internet accounts pop off on Monday. And nevertheless, she wrote, I'm really excited for the House sex ed bill hearing later today. Teaching comprehensive, queer, inclusive, pleasure based sex ed was a highlight of my time teaching. And you got to wonder, since she just summarized everything the Democratic Party is for, why isn't her own party embracing her? Why is she still a state senator in Rhode Island? Why isn't she secretary of state? Why aren't they pushing her for president? Oh, she's not old enough. Really? Because the racist Constitution says she's an old enough? Why not change the Constitution? Why not make Tierra Mac your standard bearer in 2024? But they're not. They're pushing Joe Biden. He's like 100 years old, pale, stale Joe Biden, and then Hillary Clinton and Pete Buttigieg. Again, talk about systemic racism. Tierra Mac, 2024. She ought to run with the guy in the dress who oversees Biden's nuclear waste program. That's Sam Britton. He's our new deputy assistant secretary for spent fuel and waste disposition. Deals with the spent fuel rods. He's also got something called a puppy fetish. How do we know this? Well, it's all over social media. So, of course, he's in the Biden administration. So, again, I just point out, why, why is it that, you know, Tucker Carlson is talking about her, but why, why is it Channel 12 won't even do a story on it? So, this is even Tucker Carlson last night on her. And this struck us as the perfect distillation of the beliefs of the modern Democratic Party. Not everyone felt that way. We're not endorsing it, by the way, but there's never been anything we've seen on video that explained the Democratic Party more clearly than Tierra Mac upside down twerking on the beach. But some people complained. So today, Tierra Mac released a video defending her twerking video as if she needed to. And she came to the same conclusion that we all have. People only criticized her because they're racist. Watch. Did I know that the internet was going to respond this way? It is 2022, and I'm a baby girl. Of course, deep down, not even that deep, I knew that y'all would act this way towards a black queer woman. Y'all are consistent. But sadly, I've been called worse things on the internet than, like, me upside down twerking. Y'all got to treat black queer women better, please. (laughs) So she's oppressed because she went to an Ivy League school for free, and then serves in the state house in Rhode Island. So obviously she's the weakest among us. But her claim that she's being discriminated against, that any reservations you may have had about that video are racist, really is aimed at the Democratic Party. Yeah. And to prove they're not racist, that woman needs to be at least the Secretary of State right now. That's right. Out of here, yep. Tommy Blinken. Pale and male. And then on the presidential ticket in 2024. We will not accept less. We hope Nancy Pelosi is listening, by the way. She needs to. Here she is this weekend. So anyhow, Tucker Carlson just relentlessly, the relentless takedown. The, oh, excuse me. The relentless takedown of Senator Mack is, and I don't, I don't blame, but again, Number one show, number one show on cable news, and I still don't understand um, how it is that 
Channel 12 still won't do the story. Um, I, I just, I, I am at a loss as to how they're explaining that that is not a story. Now, let me just see what else. I just saw a tweet. Um, a pledge to build more single-room occupancy housing is part of Nelly Gorbea's new campaign ad. So, I'm Nelly. She's the one who always talks in upspeak. Isn't it amazing? Here we go. People about the housing shortage. Young people can't move back to Rhode Island. Seniors can't afford to stay. I'm Nellie Gorbea, and I'm running for governor to fix this housing crisis. Before I was Secretary of State, I was Executive Director of Housing Works Rhode Island, and we helped get 2,000 affordable homes built. As governor, I'll make it easier to build more affordable housing, single-room occupancy housing, and senior housing. When I'm governor, more people will be able to call Rhode Island home. Nellie Gorbea, a governor for us. You know, don't discount her in the primary. Do not discount her in the primary. By the way, when I say that, I'm not saying I would vote for her. I'm not saying that at all. You know what? It, it is remarkable that if Ashley Kalis, if she was like just, I. but here's what's unknown. What's unknown is if time, if anything would improve Ashley Kalis, that still just remains an unknown. Um, and what I mean by that is sometimes people, if you give them just a little more time, they can, you know, develop, get a better sense of things. Um, I, I don't know about her yet. I don't know about if more time is going to help her. Let me put it that way. I don't know if more time is going to help her. It may not. This may be just, you know, how she, this is where she's going to be at. Sometimes more time can help people. They develop. They get better at it. That's really what it comes down to. Whether or not they're actually, if they improve now, someone that, that I want to mention again who is improving is Helena Folks. If she can get out of the primary, meaning if she can win the primary, she could be problematic for Ashley Kalis. The whole question is whether or not Helena folks can can win that primary. Um, there's a huge undecided. She she certainly has has the money. She's another one. Self funding the campaign. Um, she's very accomplished. Let me play a little bit. I think she's someone. I think she's someone to watch. This is one of her campaign ads. Oh, hold on. This is Helena Folks. She. They're not worried about it right now, though. I'll say that. I'm Helena Folks, running for governor. Here's my story. I was born and raised in Providence, the oldest of five kids in a big family. And after college and business school, my husband Bill and I chose to raise our children here. I started mid-level at CVS, worked my way up, rising through the ranks. 
holding nearly every leadership position. I learned how to get big things done. Helena Folks. Fortune magazine called her the change agent inside CVS. I had four kids in four and a half years. And when our youngest was one, I got thyroid cancer. The nurses, doctors, and my boss at work helped so much. And after a few months, I got back on my feet. We need leadership who understands how to get our state back on its feet. I've got a plan to transform public education, create a clean, green economy, build affordable housing, protect a woman's right to choose, and a tax cut for the middle class. I'm Helena Folks. Let's get big things done for Rhode Island. You know, she also is not afraid to shake up her staff. If someone is not working, she replaces them. Um, let me hear. This is her. She's criticizing Governor McKee. No, no, that's that was that was a while ago. She um, she certainly has gotten a little more up to speed. Can I hear just a little bit of her with, um, she was with the guys on Newsmakers, Tim White, Ted Nisi. Um, How do you square those two things? Yeah, it's, it's complicated. Look, I'm really proud of what I did at CBS. So for 20 years, we had been uh, asking ourselves if we should stop selling cigarettes. You know, we're a, a, a company that uh, when I was there, we were focused on helping people with their health care. And uh, at the end of the day, I was able to pull people together and make a really hard decision. And we had a measurable impact on smoking rates in this country. So that was something that I was very proud of. Everyone in the company was proud of. And this is another area we don't know enough about. So I, I don't go into this thinking about it glibly. I think, as I said at the beginning, we need to study it and understand it. But there's a competitive issue here, too. You told uh, Ian Donis, our friend at the Public's Radio, in an interview yesterday, uh, you support the Lifespan Care New England Hospital merger with appropriate guardrails. I've covered those two organizations a long time, and it is still somewhat hard for me to imagine how a organization with $4 billion in annual revenue, dominating Rhode Island health care, plenty of statehouse lobbyists, what mechanism there would be that would really... Uh, you know, sort of hold down uh, Gulliver like people are talking about here. What do you yeah. envision, especially someone who's, who's been a large company and has thought about healthcare, mm -hmm. what do you think concretely could be done that wouldn't just mean they'll, they're going to say whatever everyone wants them to say to get the merger through, but would actually have a long-term impact to keep yeah. costs down for people? Yeah, well, look, I, I, I think that in a state of our size with 1.1 million people, we really do have an opportunity to reimagine healthcare. It's the largest sector in our state right now. Uh, but I think what we've learned through COVID is not serving everyone. It's not serving people in all communities. If you look at people of color, again, there are a lot of maternal health issues that are not being addressed. So I start fundamentally with a patient-centered approach around this hospital merger. And I think what we should start with, and I always use this in my business career, I always started from a place of what could go right? You know, how could we reimagine this hospital system to really serve people differently. And so I think when you start from a place of that and you imagine what it could do for Rhode Islanders uh, and you believe that it really could fundamentally produce better outcomes at a lower cost, have more people in the community serving people, then ultimately the way you put those guardrails together, um, we can all figure out. You know, what are the critical metrics? Every business that I've ever been involved in, you have critical measures that you're looking at. We're transparent with them. We hold ourselves accountable. So you I think fundamentally, that's a, a, you fundamentally believe that there is a way that state government could 
would could kind of sort of rein in that organization if necessary? I do, I do. And I know we've lost a lot of faith and confidence in our state government. And I think that I, I would like to restore that level of trust. And I really do think we could do that. All right, we're going to take a break on the program. When we now, folks, again, that is um, Helena, uh, Helena, folks. Now, I'm seeing that uh, Senator Tierra Mack has now put out a tweet. Not going to entertain Tucker by going on his little show. Too busy twerking. You would think, wouldn't she want to, um, she want to reach the largest cable audience, right? Cable news audience that he has, right? Why would you not want to do that? Hmm. Instead, she puts out, I'm the the twerking senator. I'm not owned by the state. I'm a Rhode Island state senator. I was elected for two-year term. I'm formerly low-income queer black woman. I stand for justice, liberation, highlighting the expense. Our session ended at the end of June, so I took some time off, launched my campaign. Um, This year I went to Block Island for a small group of friends. Started my official senator TikTok page, fun, lighthearted. Um, the alt-right and some of the GOP in Rhode Island and the U.S. at large have attacked me on social media for promoting comprehensive queer inclusion, age-appropriate sex education. Some of the right try to pay me as a groomer. Um, Tucker Carlson is a joke to many in my community. I don't watch his content. I don't see the comments he made about me, but I see a lot of memes. I don't know who watches him in my peer group. As a queer black woman, I'm used to this treatment. Um, I chose not to follow them. Uh, I'm a part-time senator. I'm not owned by the state. Many people are used to politicians that, quote, perform leadership, do nothing. I'm relatable to some and too new for others. I work my butt off of the people of the state. Um, I also play rugby. Well-rounded individual. So she wrote this piece. Um, I work my butt off of the people of the state. (laughs) So she's decided that she wants to Um, she's decided that she wants to try to go to war with Tucker Carlson. This is Senator Tierra Mack. I think that's interesting. I think that comment. (laughs) I I, I don't know. Uh, Let's see. I mean, the story's kind of dying out but might be able to get like one more night out of it. They obviously would like her. Wouldn't you want... You can't... I have to learn. You cannot... can't do that while while I'm on air. You can't make mistakes like that. So she's not going on with Tucker Carlson. All right. At 152, folks, good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show on AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. I just want to repeat again.
The Providence Journal and Channel 12 won't do the story. What does that tell you? It says a lot. It says a lot. It says that they almost don't, you know, their, their attitude is almost like, we don't want to feed the narrative, right? We're going to, we don't think it's a story, so we're not going to cover it. It is a story. And by not covering it, they're actually making a very loud statement about it, meaning both Channel 12 and the Journal. Um, at this point, it's Thursday. The fallout started Monday night. She's had a couple of days to iron out. Um, she's come up with, hey, this is who I am, and I'm just this fun-loving individual. We're going we're gonna to find out in her primary if the voters of her district which includes like the Camp Street area and 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 whether or not if they if they agree with her on that we're we're all going to find out i i have a feeling if Joe Almeida can get the word out a lot of older voters are going to decide that they that's not who they want representing them and this happens many times by the way she was just elected she did win she's a sitting state senator she has, um, she could be, this is it. She, and the, there is a Republican challenger here, but the real key, she's either going to be a giant killer. If she wins the primary, she's definitely a favorite in the general. A lot of times when people first get elected, people don't know exactly what they stand for and what their beliefs are. She has certainly has had had an opportunity to do that. So now she's getting the attention that she craves and desires. And let's see, she's saying, oh, I, I did this because otherwise no one pays attention to me. I, that, that's really not the case. She hasn't done anything consequential. Um, they try to appease her and throw her name on some legislation, but... Brother Gary has endorsed her opponent, Joe Almeida. So, you know, I'm actually also surprised that Dan McGowan did not list that as one of the races. He did a thing in Roadmap today of races to watch. Very surprised he didn't list that one because I think all eyes are going to be on that. Um, the, the ones he listed were, were good. But a little surprised at that one. Um, but I, we'll, we'll ask him. You know, we'll ask him about it. Folks, again, good afternoon. Um, I'm looking at the Boston Globe. Baseball's unlevel playing field continues to go unnoticed. Some teams such as the Yankees can spend whatever they want, while others such as the Athletics can't even get a respectable ballpark. Well, it, it's not going unnoticed. That's why... Um, that's why baseball has really fallen. That's why not as many people are, are watching baseball. Um, this summer, will I sit down and watch a baseball game? No. I, I will... I will... Um, 
I watch a football game, but I, I will not. I don't watch regular season basketball, and, and, and I, I will watch a baseball playoff game, but not a regular season game. So this business, the unlevel playing field, they, they clearly just don't care about it. Let me also just see um, Joan Vanaki. If this were a Black Lives Matter protest, would the response been different? White nationalist groups are sneakier than ever, so it's troubling, not totally surprising. Law enforcement had no advanced knowledge of a march through downtown Boston. This is the whole Patriot Front thing. What is surprising, police were not able to rally forces to the march after they received 911 calls. I don't know what happened there. Not knowing about the march ahead of time is a failure of law enforcement intelligence. Not responding is another kind of failure. Rachel Rollins asks, if this were a Black Lives Matter protest, would the response have been different? Well, but I, I don't know. They, they, didn't, they didn't damage anything. Like, what are you talking? Why would you call it 911 for what? Put it another way, if 100 Black Lives Matter protests hopped aboard an Orange Line train in Walden route to a back base station where they took shields and flagpoles, then marched, how long would it take for Boston police to want to know what they were up to? On Saturday, 100 marches associated with the white nationalist group Patriot Front did that. A man claims he was knocked to the, de- uh, to the ground. They said they did not witness the alleged assault. Boston police were extremely busy over the holiday weekend. Um, white nationalist groups have become more sophisticated. What, they, they, how long did they march for? For 10 minutes? They determined the new flash mob approach. They didn't hurt anybody. Would police respond differently? Yeah, but Black Lives Matter protests happen all the time. This is an example. This Joan Vernaki piece in, in the Boston Globe is the, the media wants a certain narrative. They don't get the narrative that they want. So they start to create the what ifs. They, the fact is they, they didn't damage anything. As Attorney Dodd said, they marched. With the snare drum. And people are still upset because they're basically saying, you know what? They shouldn't have the right to march. That's what they're really saying. All right, folks, it's 159. It's Sean DePietro. We'll be doing Facebook Live later. Coming up, you're going to hear the 2 o'clock news. Governor McKee has extended the emergency orders. I have no idea why. Because he's allowed to. Hopefully people will challenge him on it. It is a nice Thursday. Enjoy this Thursday. We're back on the radio tomorrow. WNRI Winsocket.